Amen. Thank you, worship team. And yes, our big kids can be dismissed to their class this morning. Enjoy. Well, let's pray as we step into God's Word together this morning. Father God, we thank you that Jesus is alive. It's because He lives that we have everything that you have promised us. It's because He lives that we know that everything He said and did is true. These crazy stories that we read about in this book, and it's all true because Jesus is alive. Father, we bow to you this morning. We thank you. We praise you. And as we turn into your word, God, we pray that you would speak. Draw us closer to yourself. Reveal yourself a little more clearly, God, that we can follow you a little more closely, love you a little more deeply, and share you a little more fully. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we begin this morning, let's turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. We're going to be continuing to look at the gospel of John and what God is saying within that. John chapter 5, the story of the healing at the pool. Jesus does some amazing things in the story for us, and he's got some exciting things, I think, for us to learn and understand this morning. But let's read this passage together first. John chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Do you want to get well? The gospel is a message. The gospel is life. The gospel is following Jesus. The gospel is the church, us together, life together. The gospel is missions, work all around the world, preaching the word, caring for the poor, protecting the weak, seeking justice for the oppressed. But at the core, the bottom, at its most simple, it's God looking at us and asking us, do you want to get well. This morning we're continuing our journey through this book of John, asking that question, what is the gospel? 
What does it mean? What does it do? What does it look like? And it's been a fascinating journey so far, walking through the life of Jesus as he begins his ministry, seeing the power of the incarnation, the Word made flesh. Seeing his first miracle, that expression of the power and presence of God. His presence at the temple, reacting to the way the people had buried the presence of God. Meeting with Nicodemus and starting to unpack for people what the kingdom was truly about. And then talking with the Samaritan woman and the royal official's son, showing that this gospel, this message, this Kingdom wasn't just for the Jewish people, that God was doing something far greater than that. John chapters 1 to 4 serve as kind of an introduction to the book of John and to the ministry and the message of Jesus. John is kind of laying the groundwork for us here, the foundation of what Jesus was trying to communicate to us, what he truly represented. What he meant. Now as we enter a new section of this gospel, chapters 5 to 11 really begin to explore the public ministry of Jesus. He has large crowds around him. Enemies surround him. He's always talking to lots of people even if they're not always listening. It's interesting that it begins with this story story of the healing of the lame man at the pool. Because in the story, Jesus asks the question that he essentially never stops asking of each person and every crowd that he meets, and he has a warning for us within it as well. But Jesus has just journeyed through Samaria, and he had this amazing time with the people of this little village of Sychar. This woman that he met at the well, he shares her encounter with Jesus, and they all have to come and see for themselves. And he spends a few days with them, and they listen to him, and they watch him, and they say to this woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. What did he say to them? What was it like to be around him? Being with Jesus changed people. I wonder if they feel that way about us. He heads back to Cana, the same place that he turned the water into wine, and he heals the royal official's son, and his whole household believes, and the word is spreading, and the impact is growing, and the people are starting to take notice, and the Jewish leaders are starting to get more and more upset. And now Jesus returns to Jerusalem again for another Jewish festival. Again, he was just here for the Passover. And he caused quite a huge scene. He was flipping tables, yelling at people, chasing them away with a whip. Animals and money scattered everywhere. A total chaotic scene. And I wonder... 
As Jesus returns to Jerusalem, I wonder if everything was right back to the way it was. How long did that take? Jesus causes this massive scene and everyone stands around awkwardly wondering what to do. And then Jesus leaves and they started setting the tables back up. Started sweeping up the mess, gathering up the money on the ground, chasing down the animals and within a few days, maybe even within a few hours, everything was back the way it was. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. There were many gates into Jerusalem, different ways that you could get into the city, the Fish Gate, the Essene Gate, the Water Gate, others. This gate, the Sheep Gate, is the entrance to the Temple Mount where the temple stood, where those priests and money changers were. The sheep gate is where the sheep were brought into the temple for their sacrifices. And Jesus has come right back to that very spot He had been before, right back to the heart of their hypocrisy and greed where He had called out their sin and they knew it. You think they didn't notice. Jesus is talking right to those religious leaders all through this story. Everything he does, everything he says is right to their hearts. Whether he's looking at them or not, he sees their need and he's asking them if they do. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? What an interesting question. He doesn't ask him, do you want to be healed? He says, do you want to get well? Same thing, maybe? Maybe not. But Jesus comes to this place, and it was filled with people suffering in all kinds of ways. And he stands there for a moment, and his eyes fall on this man in particular. And maybe Jesus asks who he is, but someone tells him his story at least sees that Jesus has noticed him. And he tells him what this man's story is, how long he has suffered. And Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? And the man doesn't say yes. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me and I'm too weak, and I'm all alone, and I can't do it, and and that's not what Jesus asked him. Jesus asked this man, do you want to get well? 
And he responds with excuses and qualifications and explanations and deflections. He is so used to his life. So used to his circumstances, so used to being an outcast, to being broken, to being helpless, that the only way he knows how to frame his life is within those boundaries. Do you want to get well? Doesn't even really register with him. It doesn't connect. It doesn't compute. And all he can see is his pain and his suffering, his circumstances, and and just the way things are. And we do the exact same thing every day. Jesus is offering us life. Abundant life. New life in Him, with Him. Submitted to Him. Empowered by Him. Free in Him. And He asks us the same question. Do you want to get well? And we respond exactly like this man laying by this pool 2,000 years ago. Well, life is hard and work is tough and I have all these responsibilities and I'm just so busy and overwhelmed and all these people rely on me and I know these, some of these things I do are bad, but I kind of like them actually and I even need them or else I'm going to go crazy and that's not what Jesus asked. Do we even want to get well? Do we really? Or do we want to be fine? Do we know what well even means? When Jesus asked this man this question, he almost doesn't even hear it as an offer. He maybe even hears it as an accusation. All the reasons that he hasn't been made well yet. Don't you want to get well? Why aren't you doing something for yourself? And his response reflects all of our hearts and just how lost we truly are. We can't even see outside of our own circumstances to the freedom, the hope, and the new life that Jesus is offering. Our sin and our brokenness has us so boxed in that we can't see our Father. We can't understand what He wants for us. But thanks be to God, His power is greater than our blindness. And he breaks through our boxes and the walls that we've constructed around ourselves and he sets us free. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Unbelievable. Incredible, impossible. For 38 years, this man had been in that condition. That is my entire life, knowing nothing else, suffering every day. And suddenly, what did it feel like? Did he feel something? Did he feel a tingling, a, a burning, a rush of energy, warmth? Did his legs change, the muscles grow suddenly? Something that gave him an indication that something was happening. 
Or what if nothing happened? And he just had to completely believe that he could suddenly stand. There was no tingling, no feeling. And just kind of as he tried to stand, he just could. Trusting the word of this man who stood before him. This man he didn't know. He didn't know who Jesus was. Why on earth should he believe him? Why should he trust what he says? It doesn't even make any sense anyways. I've been this way for 38 years. I can't stand. What was it about the presence of Jesus that spoke to him, the the way Jesus was with him, that made him believe. There was something about Jesus that exposed people to the presence of God, made them aware that something important was going on. This man saw it, sensed it, and believed. And he stands up right in front of everyone there. Unbelievable. Incredible. Powerful. And immediately, the brokenness of the world comes crashing right back in. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath, and so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. The man had no idea who was this fellow that told you to pick up your mat and walk. The man who had no idea who had healed him for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. A miracle happened. The impossible happened. The presence of God has been revealed and moved right in front of them. And they are angry because he has broken their interpretation of the Sabbath law. Is it any wonder Jesus gets angry with them? He gets frustrated with them. He goes on to explain, Jesus does in the rest of this chapter, that he is working as his father leads him, as his father directs him. The religious leaders get even more angry. He's breaking the Sabbath law, and he's calling God his own father, and now they want to kill him. This is blasphemy. It is evil. He is leading people astray. And it's easy for us to pile on them. To look down on them, these wicked, legalistic, narrow-minded Pharisees that couldn't see the truth of God right before their eyes, keeping people down, just going after money and power and control. But remember what they've been through. These were the protectors and defenders of their religion, of what God had given them for hundreds of years. They had preserved and protected the law by their traditions. Through exile in Babylon, 
occupation by foreign powers like Persia and Greece and Rome, kings and nations that had tried to crush and stamp out this stubborn little group of people in the desert. The Pharisees had been the guardians against all of that, protecting the people and trying to keep their law and their life alive. They tried to be faithful. And so they interpreted and they added to the law to protect the law in all of these different situations that they were put in to try to honor God. We might think it's ridiculous how many technicalities and exceptions and examples they added, but it was all in an effort to follow and preserve the law as best they could, at least in theory. Along the way in that long and difficult journey, they had completely lost sight of the point of the law. The purpose of their calling as God's chosen people, relationship with God. Reflecting His nature to the world. They had become so consumed with righteousness that they had lost their mission. They'd lost their heart. Jesus comes and challenges everything they've been doing, reminding them of their purpose, not their fears, and they were not ready. And even then, for all of their righteousness and legalism, it was all so broken. These pools that this man was at existed right outside the temple walls, right at the sheep gate, right where the sheep were brought in for the sacrifices of God. And these healing pools were not established by God. These were pagan ritual pools that had existed for centuries before the Jewish people ever came to Jerusalem. And the Pharisees probably weren't that happy with the popular religion that had kind of co-opted these pools. And instead of coming to bring God's presence to this place, they shut it out and left it be and allowed God's people to be drawn into magic and superstition and pagan rituals right outside the temple. For all their righteousness, they were allowing this to happen right there. And so Jesus' presence here at these pools is a direct challenge to these Pharisees in just every way. Their false righteousness, their hypocrisy, their lostness. Jesus heals this man and reveals the power and the presence of God, not hidden in a temple buried under religion and greed, not available through magic pools and pagan rituals, but with us, God's presence is here. If we want to be made well, do we want to be made well? There's one other thing Jesus says in this story to the man, to the Pharisees, to us. Within this story, we see the power of God, the grace of God, the love and mercy and incredible care of God as He makes this man 
well, and we today can focus on these aspects of God, and rightly so. God is love. He is mercy. He is grace. He is forgiveness and acceptance, and He is holy. Later, Jesus finds this man again, and He says, see, you are well again. Stop sinning. Something worse may happen to you. Where did the grace go? Where did the love go? Where did the acceptance go? Jesus is just always nice and kind and likes us no matter what, and it's all fine all the time, right? Just like the Pharisees lost sight of the presence of God and their focus on righteousness and the law, we can lose sight of the holiness of God as we focus on His grace and mercy and forgiveness. God is holy. The whole reason Jesus had to come in the first place is because we were separated from Him by our sins. Again, as we've looked at every week, Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Jesus didn't come to make the world a better place. He didn't come to make this man's life more comfortable or pleasant. He came to save us. Do you want to be made well is a huge question because our need is so much deeper than we understand. We crave comfort, peace, wealth, health, stability, ease when what we truly need is God. Relationship with Him connection with our Father, life as we were created for. It's a moment and a process. We are made well by the blood of Jesus, and we are being made well by the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we are transformed a little bit more every day into the image of Jesus. Stop sinning to this man who was able to walk again, to the Pharisees who couldn't see what God was doing even after Jesus flipped all those tables and He comes back and it's all happening, and to us as we try to follow Jesus. Only Jesus can forgive. We cannot earn our salvation. It's not about good works, good behavior, but also our lives must reflect Jesus. Our behavior must reflect the promise we've made to follow Him. Sin is poison, and we cannot be made well if we continue to fill our lives with it. And we know that it's all very complicated and that Paul says we do the things we don't want to do and we won't be truly freed from sin fully until we are with God face to face. But far too easily we let sin creep into our lives. And we explain and we excuse and we complain about how hard it is just like the man at the pool. 
When Jesus is just asking us, do you want to get well? Let me make you well. Because only he can. This morning we're going to take part in communion together. Being reminded of that incredible sacrifice of Jesus. That again, we cannot earn our salvation. That it is the blood of Jesus who pays for our debt. Who covers our sin. Who sets us free. But as we enter and live in this new life, we want to honor that. We want to embrace that because full and abundant life is a life where we allow Him to burn that sin out of our lives. Those behaviors that we know are not healthy. We are transformed a little bit more each day into the image of Jesus, reflecting Him more and more fully because that is life. Full life, abundant life. There's hope and freedom and joy. We'll invite you again to come and gather the elements on your behalf of yourself or those with you. And as you go back to your seat, pray through that. Jesus, how can we be freed from our sin? You have made us free and we want to be made free. We want to live that life of freedom that you talk about. We want to be made well. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you today and we trust you and we love you. We submit to you. We thank you for the gift and the sacrifice of your son. We thank you for these stories that show us what Jesus was all about. What he was trying to help us understand. And God, so many days I don't want to be made well. I want to be made fine. I want to be just okay, but God, you want so much more for us. Abundant life, new life in Jesus. Father, help us to hunger for that. Help us to pursue that. As we come before you again today and take these elements, remind us of the cost of our sin and the freedom that you offer us. That we can walk in it a little bit more fully this morning. Thank you and we praise you. We ask that you would speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can come and take the elements as you feel led.